0: Good morning, this is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today. A program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today.
1: My hope is built on nothing less
0: than Jesus'
1: blood and
0: righteous death. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I have just read you the words of the familiar hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I have often thought how great it would be to write just one hymn that would mean so much to so many people. Now, I don't know how many hymns this man I'm going to talk about today has written, but I do know that the hymn I just read is his most famous one. That man's name is Martin Luther. In Volume 3 of Robert J. Morgan's Then Sings My Soul book, he gives us a little insight into this famous theologian and the inspiration for his hymn writing, and for his encouraging others to write hymns in praise to God. So I want to read you a little bit about, and this is in the part about German hymns, because Martin Luther was a German. In a world in which only the priest chanted, and only in Latin, suddenly a few churches began singing again in their own tongue. By and large, it was Martin Luther who got the church singing again. As God would have it, Luther was not only a great theologian, but also a musician who knew that when people are on fire for Christ, they can't help but sing their beliefs. Because he taught the priesthood of all believers, he advocated full involvement in the church's music ministries. Everyone should sing. As Luther wrote in a preface to a collection of hymns, God is praised and honored, and we are made better and stronger in faith when His Holy Word is impressed on our hearts by sweet music. Martin Luther said, I intend to make German psalms for the people, spiritual psalms, so that the Word of God, even by means of song, may lie among the people. One historian said that Luther gave the German people both the Bible in their own language and the German hymn book. As a result, the people were able to listen to God through His Word and respond back to Him in their songs. The event that sparked Luther's commitment to hymns was the martyrdom of two young Augustinian monks, Einreich Vos and Johann Esk. They were burned at the stake in Brussels on July 1, 1523, the first martyrs of the Reformation. In response, Luther expressed his grief by writing a ballad about them entitled, A New Song Here Shall Be Begun, the first lines of which say, A new song here shall be begun, the Lord God help our singing. Of what our God himself hath done, praise, honor to him bringing. Within a year, Luther, who was 40 at the time, had about two dozen compositions for his church in Wittenberg and would slowly add to their number. The first Lutheran hymnal appeared the next year, and in it was the famous battle hymn of the Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, based on Psalm 46. It is almost certain that Luther composed not only the words, but also the regal music to which it is sung. James Lambert, who wrote about Luther in a book, had this to say. Later, he wrote a few more hymns, but he was primarily concerned with getting the ball rolling. After introducing his 23 hymns, he encouraged German poets to compose evangelical hymns, and they did. Writing to one musician, Spalatin, Luther said, Grace and peace, I am willing to make German psalms for the people after the example of the prophets and the ancient fathers that is, spiritual hymns whereby the Word of God, through singing, may converse itself among the people. We are therefore seeking everywhere for poets. Since you are endowed with versatility and good taste in German expression, and since through abundant effort you have cultivated both these gifts, I beg you to join hands with us and make the attempt to transform a psalm into a hymn after the pattern I enclose. I desire, however, that newfangled words and courtly expressions be omitted in order that the language may be the simplest and most familiar to the people. I want to shift gears and dig a little deeper into the life of this man, Martin Luther, whom God used to begin the Protestant Reformation. I want to read for you now from the November 10th reading from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. His name was Martin Luther, and he was born on November the 10th, 1483 in a peasant family in the town of Icelandben in Prussian Saxony. The next day, he was baptized and named after St. Martin, the saint for that day. Growing up, he was taught to pray to God and to the saints and to honor the church and its priest. Over time, he became a devout worshiper of the Virgin Mary. Luther enrolled at the University of Erfurt in 1501, receiving a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1502 and a Master of Arts in 1505. That same year, Luther was returning to Erfurt from a visit to his parents when he was overtaken by a violent thunderstorm. Terrified, Luther fell to the ground and cried out, St. Anne, help me! I will become a monk! Fifteen days later, Luther kept his vow and entered the monastery of the Hermits of St. Augustine in Erfurt. Two years later, he was ordained a priest. The following year, Luther transferred to the University of Wittenberg, where he earned the Doctorate of Theology degree in 1512. He received a permanent appointment as a professor of theology at the university, a position he held for life. Luther probably would have lived out his life as a little-known university professor of theology had it not been for the following experience told in his own words, I had been possessed by an unusually ardent desire to understand Paul in his epistle to the Romans. Nevertheless, in spite of the ardor of my heart, I was hindered by the unique word in the first chapter, the righteousness of God. I hated that word, righteousness of God, because in accordance with the usage and custom of the doctors I had been taught to understand, philosophically as meaning, as they put it, the formal or active righteousness according to which God is righteous and punishes sinners and the unjust. As a monk, I led an irreproachable life. Nevertheless, I felt that I was a sinner before God. Not only did I not love, but I actually hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Day and night, I tried to meditate upon the significance of these words. The righteousness of God is revealed in it, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Then, finally, God had mercy on me, and I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that gift of God by which a righteous man lives, namely, faith, and that this sentence, The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, is passive, indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Now I felt as though I had been reborn altogether and had entered paradise. Just as intensely as I had before hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now lovingly praised this most pleasant word. This passage from Paul became to me the very gate to paradise. And that was the end of Martin Luther's quote. After his rebirth, God went on to use Martin Luther to lead the Reformation and to found the Lutheran church and Protestantism itself. And under the Reflections section, it says, Do you understand what it means to be justified by faith? It means that because Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, God declares us righteous on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are justified when we trust Christ, but then we are to continue trusting Him day by day for the specifics of life. We are to live by faith. This is from Romans 117. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And I want to just interject right here. This is our hope for today, that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, that is how we are going to have salvation and how we are going to have eternal life through him and live in heaven with Christ and his Father God. Reformation Sunday is celebrated in churches across the United States on or before October 31st each year. That is because on October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk, nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. These theses were quickly translated from Latin into German, printed and widely copied, making the controversy one of the first in history to be aided by the printing press. Within two weeks, copies had spread throughout Germany, within two months, throughout Europe, I want to read to you part of the April 17th reading in the Rustins One-Year Christian book. These theses consisted of 95 distinct propositions arguing against the supreme power of the Pope, the greed within the Church, and the abuse of indulgences. As a result, the Roman Catholic Church excommunicated Martin Luther in January 1521. This move served to fuel public support for Luther rather than to dismiss it. Because of Luther's great popularity, Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, agreed to hear his arguments at a Diet, which is a meeting of the Empire Parliament, which was scheduled for the spring of 1521 in Worms, Germany. Church representatives wanted Luther arrested and condemned to death as a heretic without a trial. However, Luther was promised that he would be protected and given a lawful trial at the meeting. At 4 p.m. on April 17, 1521, Luther arrived triumphantly in Worms. It was a dramatic contrast. Luther, a simple monk, standing before the powerful sovereign of the Holy Roman Empire. When he was immediately confronted with a pile of his books and asked whether he acknowledged their authorship, he quietly responded, the books are all mine. They pressed him further, asking whether he would stand by them or recant anything in them. Luther was shocked because he had been promised a hearing of his beliefs, not a demand for recantation. Luther replied, This touches God and his word. This affects the salvation of souls. Of this Christ said, He who denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father. To say too little or too much would be dangerous. I beg you, give me time to think it over. After some deliberation, even though they felt he didn't deserve it, Luther was granted a one-day delay. Martin Luther spent the evening in prayer, carefully preparing his response. At 6 p.m. the following day, he gave his famous answer, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I trust neither Pope nor Council alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have cited. For my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since to act against one's conscience is neither safe nor right. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. These famous words reverberated throughout the Reformation, inspiring many others to take their stand as well. And in the Reflection section of this, it says, God called upon Martin Luther to take a stand before the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Where might God call upon you to stand up for your convictions? What can you do to prepare yourself for those eventualities? When I looked up Martin Luther's biography on the internet, the first one had 40 pages about him. So believe me when I tell you I am only scratching the surface of Luther's life. Countless books have been written about him, and if you have time, some of you may want to read more about him. I was sort of curious about how a former monk decided and then ended up marrying a former nun. So I want to read you what I got off the internet about their marriage. Martin Luther married Katharina of Von Bora, one of twelve nuns he had helped escape from a convent in April of 1523, when he arranged for them to be smuggled out in fish barrels. And he wrote this to a friend, Suddenly, and while I was occupied with far different thoughts, the Lord has plunged me into marriage. At the time of their marriage, on June 13, 1525, Katharina was 26 years old and Luther was 41 years old. Some priests and former members of religious orders had already married, but Luther's wedding set the seal of approval on clerical marriage. Luther had long condemned vows of celibacy on biblical grounds, but his decision to marry surprised many, one who even called it reckless. Luther had written to his friend George Spatleton on the 30th of November, 1524, quote, I shall never take a wife as I feel at present. Not that I am insensible to my flesh, for I am neither wood nor stone, but my mind is averse to wedlock, because I daily expect the death of a heretic. Less than seven months later, on June the 13th, 1525, is when they were married. Luther and Katie, as he called her, had six children. And now I'm going to be reading you this from the September 20th reading from the one-year Christian history book by the Rustins. He and Katie had six children, Hans, Elizabeth, Magdalena, Martin, Paul, and Margaretha. In 1542, when Hans was 16, the Luthers sent him to Torgo to school because Wittenberg did not have an appropriate school for his education. Scarcely had he arrived there than his 13year- old sister Magdalena, became deathly ill. Martin Luther wrote to Hans’s teacher, My daughter Magdalena is nearing her end and will soon go to her true father in heaven unless he sees fit to spare her. She longs so much to see her brother, for they were very close, so I am sending a carriage for him in the hope that a sight of him will revive her. I am doing all I can lest afterward the thought of having neglected anything should torment me. Please ask him to come at once without telling him why. I shall send him back as soon as she has either fallen asleep in the Lord or been restored to health. Farewell in the Lord. Hans returned home, but Magdalena's health continued to deteriorate. Luther prayed, O God, I love her dearly, but thy will be done. Then he asked her, Magdalena, my little girl, would you like to stay with your father here, and would you just as gladly go to your father in heaven? She answered, Yes, dearest father, as God wills. It grieved Luther that in spite of all the blessings he had received from God, he found himself unable in this situation to give thanks. On September the 20th, 1542, as Magdalena's death drew near, Luther knelt at her bedside, praying through his tears that God would receive his little one. Katie stood at the end of the room, unable to watch as Magdalena died in her father's arms. Turning to his grieving wife, Luther said with compassion, Dearest Katie, let us think of the home our daughter has gone to. There she is happy and at peace. As Magdalena was laid in her coffin, Luther remarked, My darling, you will rise and shine like the stars and the sun. Then he said to Katie, How strange to know that she is at peace and all is well, and yet to be sorrowful. To his friends who came to mourn with him, he said, Let us not be sad, I have sent a saint to heaven. If mine could be like hers, I would gladly welcome death at this very hour. Luther wrote the epitaph for her grave. Here I, Magdalena, Dr. Luther's little maid, resting with the saints, sleep in my narrow bed. I was a child of death, for I was born in sin. But now I live, redeemed, Lord Christ, by the blood you shed for me. Three days after her death, Luther wrote a letter to his friend, Justice Jonas. And this was it. This is an incredible letter. I expect you have heard that my beloved Magdalena has been born again into Christ's everlasting kingdom. Although my wife and I ought to rejoice because of her happy end, yet such is the strength of natural affection that we cannot think of it without sobs and groans, which tear the heart apart. The memory of her face, her words, her expression in life and in death, everything about our most obedient and loving daughter lingers in our hearts so that even the death of Christ, and what are all deaths compared to His, is almost powerless to lift our minds above our loss. So would you give thanks to God in our stead, for hasn't He honored us greatly in glorifying our child? And from the Reflection section here, it says, The death of a loved one brings sorrow to everyone. It is important not to deny these feelings. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. God intends that we mourn. Paul wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians, from 1 Thessalonians 4.13, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen, so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. The last bit of history I want to share with you this morning concerning the life of Martin Luther comes from the February 22nd reading in the One Year Christian History Book. In 1517, a Dominican friar named Johann Tetzel had been selling indulgences near Wittenberg to raise money for constructing St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. According to Tetzel, those who purchased an indulgence would receive remission of purgatory. Indulgences could also be purchased on behalf of dead relatives and friends. The punchline of Tetzel's sermon was, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. The sale of these indulgences infuriated Martin Luther, the professor of biblical studies at the University of Wittenberg, and he decided to hold a disputation with other faculty members on the subject. A professor interested in holding a disputation would nail the theses to be discussed on the cathedral door. Luther posted his 95 theses on the great wooden door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany on October 31, 1517. Some of Luther's points for discussion were, number one, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in saying, repent ye, intended that the whole life of believers should be penitence. Number 32, those who believe that, through letters of pardon, they are made sure of their own salvation, will be eternally damned together with their teachers. Theses 37, every true Christian, whether living or dead, has a share in all the benefits of Christ and of the church, given him by God, even without letters of pardon. And number 62, the true treasure of the church is the holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. And then number 86, why does the pope— whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest person, like this was like the richest general that lived. Why can't he build the Basilica of St. Peter? Why does he want to build it with the money of poor believers rather than with his own money? I hope you understood that. I sort of paraphrased that. Luther knew from his own repentance and conversion that paying an indulgence could not achieve forgiveness of sins. Shortly before posting the 95 Theses, Luther had begun studying the Greek New Testament, and his studies persuaded him that the Greek word for repentance meant a change of heart, not mere performance of outward works, as theologians of his day defined it. Luther wrote the 95 Theses in Latin, intending them to be discussed by scholars, not circulated among the populace. But as Luther himself acknowledged, in a fortnight, and that's in two weeks, they flew all over Germany. Translated into German and sold as far away as Rome, the 95 Theses became much more than a university exercise. For the next two decades, Luther enjoyed seeing the Reformation grow. Many regions in Germany accepted the evangelical doctrines that Luther and other reformers discovered in the scriptures. Luther lived to see a second generation of evangelicals sing the hymns he had written, read his German translation of the Bible, and learn his catechism from their early childhood. Throughout his life, he preached and taught God's promise of redemption to the repentant sinner. On his deathbed, he prayed, quote, O Lord Jesus Christ! I commend my poor soul to thee. O heavenly Father, I know that, although I shall be taken from this life, I shall live forever with thee. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. End of Luther's quote. Luther died on February the 18th, 1546, at the age of 62 in Eiselben, the city where he was born. As word of his death spread to Wittenberg, bells tolled and people crowded the streets, wanting to pay their last respects to their leader. On Monday, February twenty-second, 1546, accompanied by a caravan that included his wife Katie, his four surviving children, and a throng of his followers, Luther's casket was borne through the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, on which more than 28 years before, the young monk had nailed his theses. In the Reflection section, it says little did Martin Luther realize the forces that would be set in motion by the posting of his 95 Theses. He merely felt it necessary to speak out against the error of his day. He was willing to stand up and be counted for truth, and God used him to change the world. Do you ever feel that you should speak out against error? There is no predicting how God will honor your faithfulness. From Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.25, They should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will believe the truth. In closing today's program on the life of Martin Luther, I am going to read Psalm 46 from the New King James Version of the Bible. This is the psalm upon which Luther based his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Psalm 46 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. There were a lot of quotes that he had made. I'm just going to read you this last one that I had gotten. This is by Martin Luther. You are not only responsible for what you say, but also for what you do not say. Thank you for listening.
1: is cra Duh, that.